So I am excited, though, to welcome uh, Pastor Isaiah again. He's been here in the past, and uh, he's here today again to share with us, um, related to our series that we've been in for quite a while now on what? Prayer. Prayer. That's right, learning to pray. So he's going to bring us a message. If you're ready, Pastor Isaiah, you yeah. can come on up. All right. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Yes. We are in the house. Good morning, everybody. All right. I didn't wear this shirt on purpose, honestly. <laughs> and uh, normally I do not preach from a laptop. Um, so if I'm a bit disoriented today because you have to have good hand-eye coordination to toggle and scroll and look and all that, please forgive me, okay? All right, I appreciate that uh, so much. Um, there's a portion of scripture that I want to turn your attention to in the book of Hebrews. One verse I want you to look at. It's always a joy to be here at the Commons. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Love it, love it, love it. Hebrews 11. And verse 6. Got it? All right, it reads, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God. How many of you have come today because you want to draw near to God? Well, listen to what it says. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm going to read it one more time. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists. If you have the King James Version, it simply says that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's whisper a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, uh, help us to behold wondrous things in your word. We realize that the, the flower fades and the grass withers, but it's your word that stands forever. So teach us, instruct us. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I talked about the book of Galatians. We were in the book of Galatians. Um, now we're in the book of Hebrews. There's some similar difficulties going on here where the, the, the Christians, the, this writer, this unknown writer, as a matter of fact, we don't know definitively who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people speculate Paul wrote it. Some people speculate Barnabas could have written it. We don't know definitively who wrote the book of Hebrews, but what we, what we do know is that he's writing to, to, to Jewish believers in Christ that are experiencing intense persecution. I mean, they're, they're really going through the rigors, and some of them are tempted to essentially for, forsake this, this beautiful faith that's been given to us by grace and return back to the law of Moses. And so the author of Hebrews spends a lot of time in the book of Hebrews 
helping his audience to see that Christ and the covenant that he came to implement is far superior and far better than the law of Moses. So Hebrews is a wonderful book uh, to read if you're ever questioning if Jesus is superior to the old Mosaic law and covenant. As a matter of fact, if I was to sum up the book of Hebrews in one sentence, it would simply be, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. All right. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews um, shares with his audience what's commonly referred to today as the, the hall of faith. All right. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see that, that the writer enumerates um, these heroes of the faith that, that, that really trusted and served God in extraordinary ways, and therefore their, their stories are, are, are kind of preserved in the Word of God. And that's really kind of what you see uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, starting around verse 4. Well, well, at the beginning of that discussion, as the uh, writer is sort of enumerating all of these heroes of the faith, he, he makes this assertion. In verse 6, I think we all need to consider, because it's a, it's a pretty extraordinary assertion. He, he starts out in verse 6 and he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't say it's difficult. He doesn't say it's hard. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is a pretty staggering assertion particularly within our 21st century context. Because we live in a, in a culture and a context that, that essentially believes that everything we do as human beings pleases God. Just because you are you, and just because you woke up in your beautiful skin and, and, and you are who you are, you are pleasing to God simply because you exist and God is just so enamored with you. That, that, that sort of what the culture thinks about God and about our relationship to God. If you were to tell this culture that God is not pleased with, with them, uh, you would get a lot of pushback. But this is the assertion right at the beginning of verse 6. Doesn't matter how many checks you write to orphanages. Doesn't matter if you've spent all your life in church. Doesn't matter if you know Christianese and you can pray and speak in King James English. Doesn't matter if you've graduated magna cum laude and now you, you, you are practicing law or whatever, whatever discipline you graduated for. Doesn't matter. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. All of those things might impress your friends, peers, colleagues, all of those things might bring accolades from the culture and society, but God is drilling down deeper, and he's looking for faith. And without it, he's not pleased. And so we have to ask the obvious second question, well, what is faith? I mean, the reality is, 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 is in order to get on a on a plane and fly anywhere, you have to have some faith, right? You don't know who's flying your plane. You don't know if you just got sloppy drunk hours before he got behind, right? The, 
the, in the cockpit, right? You, you have to have like a modicum of faith in order to fly. You, you have to have a, like a modicum of faith in order to eat at a restaurant, right? You don't know what they're doing back there. <laughs> but you go there and you, you just, you, you say, all right, we're, we're doing this. So we, we have to ask now, like, what, what, what is faith? Because everybody has it to some degree. Even atheists who claim to, 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 to lack faith cannot exist in this world without it. So, so I want to I I rewind the clock. I want to go back to the 16th century. Anybody heard of the Protestant Reformation? Well, well, well the Reformers, when they, when they thought through this thing called faith, and they described this thing called faith, they used, they used three Latin words, and I'm, I'm going I'm to unpack it. The first word that they used was notitia. Notitia. That faith has these three components. The first is notitia, which is knowledge. It refers to the content of the faith. You have, to, you have to hear the gospel. You have to have this information. You cannot have faith unless you've been exposed to the content of Christianity. Notitia is the knowledge that you're taking in right now about Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and his and his his open uh, invitation to receive him and trust in him alone. Notition, knowledge, you have to have that. The, the, the second component is a census or assent. You have, to, you have to give mental assent to the information. So, so not only do you have to hear the information, not only do you have to hear the gospel, but you have to believe the gospel. You have to say, you know what? In spite of what my professors say, and in spite of what this culture says, this is, this is true. I believe it. I, I am giving mental assent to this good and godly information that the scriptures are, are sharing with me and that my pastor shares with me. But, but, but here's the thing, because the Apostle James says that even the demons believe. The demons, guys, uh, they have really good Christology. They believe a lot of truthful, good things. So then what separates somebody who simply gives mental assent from the demons who also give mental assent to the information? It's, it's, it's the third component, which is, which is fiducia. Fiduciary. You, 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 may, you may recognize that word if you're involved in like trading or, or, or you know, business or finance. Trust. Fiducia is trusting. It's, 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 it's what I just spoke of. Uh, you can have information that flying is the safest way to travel. You can actually give mental assent to it and believe it. But there are people that, that believe that, give mental assent, but they never get on a plane because they're afraid of flying, even though they know it's the safest form of travel. They do not trust. The pilot, the machinery. And so therefore, because they lack trust, even though they have mental assent, even though they have the information, they, they, they fail to give their lives over. Trust is the component of faith that God is looking for and is pleased by. Uh, you guys are, many of you guys are in school now. Some of you guys 
uh, have already graduated. Some of you guys are in grad school. Some of you guys are done with grad school. And so the mental ascent part, the information part, that's not hard for you. But the fiducia, the trust, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you trusting the Lord with your life? Are you trusting the Lord with your future? Are you trusting the Lord with your plans? Are you trusting the Lord with your heart and your soul? Are, are, are you, are, have, you, have you placed yourself in the posture of giving it all away to him? Giving everything, your will, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, putting it all in his hands because you trust that his will is far greater and better than your wildest dreams. See, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you get a picture of what this faith looks like. Because the author of Hebrews, again, enumerates all of the heroes of the faith. So if you want to see faith, one of the guys that he brings up is Noah. Noah is out there in a desert. And he doesn't, it doesn't look like it's going to rain. It hasn't rained. It is dry. But yet... Because he's a righteous man, he has faith in God, what does he do? He starts building that ark. He starts building that ark because he knows the God who, who gives his word will remain true to his word. So his faith in this God provokes him to action, and he essentially tailors his life around the God in whom he has faith. All right? Uh, Moses. Moses is on the backside of a desert. He's... he's, he's He's given his life over to shepherding sheep. God appears through a, a, a burning bush, says, go back and tell Pharaoh, who is the leader of the greatest military power of the time. Go back, look that guy eye to eye, and tell him to let my people go. After a little bit of questioning, Moses <laughs> agrees. And his faith in Yahweh provokes him to stand up against the greatest military power of that time. Gideon leads 300 men into battle, victorious in that battle because of faith. If you want to see pictures of faith, read Hebrews chapter 11. See, 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 these, see these examples and these models, and then ask yourself, am I trusting him in a radical and real way? And how is my trust in him being applied in my everyday lives? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And we live in a culture and a society that says, faith? Come on now. We've got technology. Faith? You've got a degree. What do you need faith for? You've got, you've got intellect beyond, beyond anybody else's wildest imagination. Faith? Come on now, you got an IQ. What, what? No, God is different. God is saying, you come to me in faith because without it, it's impossible to please me. The writer goes on and he says, whoever would draw near to God, this is where your ears should perk up. Because why are we here? Are we here because our friends are here? Are, are we here because we have nothing else to do on a Sunday? Are, are we here because we're, we're, we're anticipating a great meal afterwards? I'm not saying those, those things are bad. But what I'm saying is those things should be peripheral. The reason why 
we've all gathered, while we've all surrendered precious hours of our day, while football is on, by the way, <laughs> is because we, we desire to draw near to God. We desire to, to be in His presence with His people. We desire to open our hands to the God of the universe and surrender to Him everything within them. If it's your desire to draw near to God, then you, your ears should perk up now. Right? God forgive us for embracing a cold, dead religious formalism that's more about form and fashion than it is about drawing near to God. God deliver us from pharisaical living that's more about rules and regulations and, and do's and don'ts than it is. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to spray you. <laughs> Those projectiles come, buddy. You just got to bob and weave. All right. Bob and weave. Forgive us for, for reducing the faith to a list of, 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 of do's and don'ts and boxes that, that we check off. We want to draw near to God. What's the point? If we're not drawing near to God, why come if our desire is not to draw near to him? Perk up and hear what the writer says. He says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. King James Version simply says that he is. There's, there's, there's a reality that you have to affirm that there is a God. Uh, and, and that this God uh, is actually on the throne ruling and reigning. Now, we're in the room of, 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 we're in a room of majority believers. So some of you guys are like, okay, we got that good point. Let's go on to the next one. But can I talk to you a little bit about something called functional atheism? We know what hard atheism is. It's this assertion that there, there is no God or we don't have the evidence, which is laughable. But, but that's, that's hard atheism. Functional atheism is when I give lip service to the existence of God. When, when, when I profess that God is real, but my life is not congruent with my profession. My Bible sits on the coffee table and collects dust while I walk around talking about my belief in God. My prayer life is dry and non-existent, yet when uh, I'm in, evangel in the evangelical hangout space, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. God or Miss God, right? Functional atheism, in my opinion, is worse than hard atheism. Because functional atheism is, 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 is self-delusion. It's like Matthew 7, where many come to Jesus on that day and say, Lord, didn't I do all these wonderful things and you know, perform miracles and cast out demons and prophesy. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You had this wonderful profession. But just because you profess it doesn't mean you possess it. This is where we need to check ourselves. I'm not a hard atheist, pastor. Well, are you a functional atheist? 
Is your life congruent with your profession? Because if you're going to draw near to God, you've got to believe that He is. And if you believe that He is, you lean into that belief. Remember, that's what trust is about. This is what separates demonic belief from, from saving faith is this trust element. Do you really believe that He exists or that the King James Version says that He is? He is. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is my Savior. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is a healer. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is a way maker. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is a bridge over troubled water. What would our lives look like? What would our church look like if we were filled with people that radically, unapologetically, earnestly believe that God is all of those things? God is a healer. How many of you believe it? When was the last time that you prayed for somebody to be healed? When was the last time that you laid hands on the sick and expected that God would move as a result of your prayer of faith? How many of you guys believe that God is a way maker and he, and he makes ways in times of trouble? Well, then why are you stressing out? Why are you biting your nails? If you are drawing near to God, it's contingent upon your belief that he is and that he is a rewarder. Verse 6 ends by saying he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, I love the way that, that verse 6 ends, because in verse 6, uh, I, I like to kind of separate it between the declaration and the directive. Okay? The declaration causes me to praise. The directive causes me to search my heart and look introspectively into my own life. The, the, the declaration is beautiful. He is a rewarder. Isn't that a great declaration? The God of the universe who created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing, hung the star, sun, moon in place rewards human beings with good things. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but, but I have a decent father. I love my father. My father is great. Uh, growing up, my father would do things for me that I often didn't deserve. He would give things to me that I often didn't deserve. And, and, and I can think about those times and rejoice in those times wholeheartedly. Well, well if my earthly father can give good gifts, how much more should we rejoice in the fact that there is a heavenly father who is eager to reward his children? God is not a punitive God. Once you give your life to Jesus, can I tell you some good news? You have escaped condemnation. Isn't that good news? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So our God is not punitive. Our God is not waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt because you, 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 know, you slipped or you forgot some things. God, from his heart, is a rewarder. Of who? Those that diligently seek him. When I think about seeking the Lord, we're going to get out of here. You have to allow, you know, 
I'm a, I'm a Baptist preacher. And if you know anything about the, the black Baptist church, you know that we give three closes. We say three times, I'm about to close. First time, not really. Second time, not so much. Third time, it's really happening. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right? When I think about what it means to seek the Lord, because the, the, here's the thing. We, ha we have to make what's abstract concrete. What, what, okay, I, that's good news. I want to be rewarded. I want to seek the Lord. What does that look like? I, I, I think about three things, guys. Uh, the, the first thing that I think about is pursuing, relentlessly, passionately pursuing his presence. Psalm 105.4 says this, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. The psalmist in Psalm 42 says this, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Pursue his presence. There is nothing better. There is nothing more refreshing. There is nothing more, more soul satisfying than being in the presence of God and surrendering yourself, surrendering your worship, surrendering your life to him afresh. I don't know about you, but the first thing you should do in the morning is rush to the presence of God. Bow down before him. If, 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 if you ever, if you, ever um, you know, attend a, 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 you know, a church that may be uh, charismatic, Pentecostal, you, you'll see them doing something that uh, I, I actually do as a practice as well when I'm in worship. That's lifting my hands. I lift my hands when, when, when I'm in worship. You want to know why? Um, because lifting your hands is a sign of surrender. It's you saying to God, all right, I've gone the farthest I can go. I've reached my limit. Lord, Lord take it. Think about it. Uh, if you were on the run and there was a police officer behind you and he cornered you in an alley and he drew his gun and said, freeze, what would be your first response? Hands up. What you're saying to that officer is, I've run long enough. I've tried to evade you long enough. But here I am. I'm yours. Take me into custody. And so when I think about seeking God, I think of pursuing his presence. I, I think about having a life, cultivating a life of worship. And of course, we know that, that worship is, is just as much about what we do as it is about uh, in, in practice, as it is about, you know, our, our sort of calisthenics of raising our arms and things of that nature. But, but pursuing his presence is, when was the last time that you just sat still and said, God, come into this room? Come, come into my life. Like, I know I'm saved, but, but I need to be refreshed. I need to be filled all over again. When was the last time that you made worship a priority outside of church? Pursue his presence. The second thing that I think of is pursuing his posture. I think of Micah 6.8. You want to know what Micah 6.8 says? He has told you, oh man and woman, by the way, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Pursuing his, posture, pursuing his posture is seeking him through living in the world 
amongst people, your neighbors, the way that he's called you to live. Pursuing his posture, pursuing his posture is saying, I'm going to have a mind of Christ when it comes to how I interact in the public square. I'm going to have a mind for Christ when it comes to how I interact with those that need and are seeking justice. I'm going to pursue God by pursuing his posture in front of a watching world that's wondering if my gospel witness will extend outside of my church. Pursuing his posture means taking uh, Christ with you wherever you go and, 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 and making your life uh, congruent with what this says in, Matthew, in Micah 6, 8. And then the last thing, of course, is uh, pursuing him through prayer. Pursuing him through prayer. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, ask, Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. If you, if you, if you look at those verses in the Greek, it, 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 it is a perpetual action. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. It, 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 is, it, is, it is a Christian that is not content with prayer just before you go to sleep and right before you're about to eat, and that's about it. But this is a Christian that, that recognizes that, that, that you are needy and that there is a God in heaven who can fulfill every need that you have, and so you petition him. You petition him, and you come to him with your hands out, asking the, the, the God who is uh, extravagant and abundant to fill you afresh. So pursue him in prayer, perpetually. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that we are to pray without ceasing. And so when I think of seeking, when I think of seeking the Lord, I think of those three things. Pursuing his presence, pursuing his posture, pursuing him in prayer. And so, and so that's, that's the declaration. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But remember the directive. Remember the directive of the text. You have to believe it. You have to believe. You have to believe that he is, that's the text, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Don't get so caught on the declaration that you forget the directive. Because it's going to be your adherence to the directive that allows you to actualize the promise of the declaration. How many of you want rewards from the Almighty God? Well, the directive is belief that if you seek him, that if you seek Seek God. This this requires uh, tailoring your agenda to reflect your desire to pursue him. This requires uh, cultivating a life and a mind of prayer that is is, uh, real and abiding. When When you think of just the declaration, but you forget the directive, you're putting the cart before the horse. You've got to believe. And it's out of that belief that you'll experience the beauty of the promise of the declaration. He's a rewarder. But do you really believe it? Because if you believed it, then guess what? You'd seek him. If you believe that there's a reward in seeking him, then 
then, then it would be something that you would do joyfully. It would be something that you would do with passion and reckless abandon. And so, and so I'll close by reiterating the words of the author of Hebrews and reminding that these words are just as much to us in the 21st century as they were to his audience in the 1st century. Simply, without faith, family, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Can we pray? God, help us to look introspectively. Help us to do a trust check. Help us to identify what and who we've been trusting in. And if it's not you, turn our hearts, we repent. Give us a Proverbs 3 perspective. Help us to trust in you with all our heart. Lean not into our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge you, and when we do that, you'll direct our path. Lord, I pray that we would stay away from functional atheism. I pray that our lives will match our profession. Will you identify those areas in our lives where, where, where we have forgotten you? Will you identify those areas in our lives where our practice is not lining up with our faith profession? And help us to live lives that are congruent with the faith that we profess. And Lord, help, help us to radically believe that you are waiting to reward us with good things. You are a good, good Father, it is your desire to give us good things. Help us to radically believe that and help that belief to impact how, how desperately we seek you. Lord, increase our desire for you. Increase, Father God, our hunger for you. Help us to pursue your presence. God, give us a desire to run to you every morning to run to you just in worship, to sit before you, to be still and know that you are God, to honor you, Father God, just, just, just by searching for you and seeking your face. Help us to pursue your presence. Help us to pursue your posture. God, help us to seek you by seeking those we can show your love to. And God, help us to pursue you in prayer, perpetually asking, seeking, knocking. We know, God, that you are a rewarder. You've already rewarded us by giving us Jesus. You've given us everything that we could ever want or need. And so we're grateful for that. But you are uh, a God that is extravagant. And there's more. There's, there's more. There's more. There's more. And we love you because you desire to give it to us. So, Father, I pray that you would seal 
these truths in our hearts and minds concretize what we've heard and learned so that we, be, we can begin to apply all these things straight away. In Jesus' name.